So if you have your Bibles in front of you, we're gonna flip kind of near the beginning of chapter 15. And the chapter starts with Saul, who has been king already for a while. He's won many battles for Israel, but he's also made some pretty dumb mistakes along the way. One of them was he was told to wait before entering battle. And Samuel, who is this prophet and priest, will make a sacrifice to the Lord on your behalf, and then you can go into battle. And Saul's like, you know, we got these guys on the run. I'm getting kind of antsy. I don't want to wait for Samuel. So like, you know what? I'll make the sacrifice for myself to God, and then we'll go. That's a no-no. The priests were expected to make the sacrifice for him. So because of that, God says, because you've disobeyed here, your kingship will not be passed to your children. It'll be given to someone else. So we've already seen some disobedience in Saul's life. And here it continues on with Saul being told or commanded to go into battle to fight these people groups. So he's sent in to attack the Amalekite people is what it says. Why? It's told to wipe them out completely. Don't leave a person alive. Don't leave an animal alive. And you hear that, like, that's pretty intense. Why would God have him go and wipe everyone out? Well, there's a specific band of the Amalekites that actually attacked and pillaged the Israelites as they were coming up out of Egypt, as they were fleeing from Egypt. They attacked, they assaulted, they did terrible things to the Israelite people. And God is telling Saul, as an act of my judgment on these people, this is what I want you to do. So he sends them to attack and destroy all of them. But does he do that? He attacks, he defeats, but let's pick it up in verse eight. Let's, let's read this together. Verse eight, and he, this is Saul, took Agag, the king of the Amalekites alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. So you, you hear that and you're like, okay. It kind of sounds like he's obeying. He's wiped out the people, the army. He kept the king alive. I don't really know. Let's, let's keep going. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of all the sheep and the oxen and the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So there should be some red flags going up in your mind as you're reading this. Didn't God just say to Saul, destroy everything, get rid of everything? Are they doing it here? No. Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, who's not there with Saul. And he says, I have regret that I made Saul king. Now God regrets making Saul king. Does this mean that God has made a mistake? Like, oh, I wish I didn't make Saul king. Is that what God is saying here? The short answer is no. God is not expressing or saying that he has made the wrong decision. It's not an admission of guilt. It's rather an expression of sorrow for what has happened or grief. He's seen a change of heart from the Saul that was this small figure from the smallest tribe of Benjamin, now leading the people and where is his heart? Where is his passions? They're not on the Lord. And, and God is displeased and sorrowful. So we'll go, he says, I regret that I have made Saul king. Why? For he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. So he's, he's pretty distraught over this. He's not happy with what's going on. And I want you to pay attention to the scene that's about to unfold. We see, we see Saul who has attacked and disobeyed. 
We see Samuel, he's being made aware of the disobedience and he's sorrowful. Samuel is crying all night over his disobedience and we're gonna contrast them in a moment. Verse 12, what happens? Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. So he's at a sleepless night. He wakes up early in the morning. I gotta go meet Saul. I gotta figure out what's going on. Why has he disobeyed? And where does he find him? Where does he find Saul? And it was told to Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Samuel has just been distraught for since he's been made aware of this disobedience. And, and where's Saul? What's he up to? He's setting up a monument to himself so that everyone will remember it was I who defeated the Amalekite people. It was me. I won't want you to forget that. I did this for you. You're always gonna remember that. And then Samuel finally catches up with Saul. And here in verse 13, Samuel says, or Saul says to him, blessed be you to the Lord, for I have performed the commandments of the Lord. What? How can Saul possibly say that? How can he say to Samuel, oh, it's great to see you. I'm, I'm happy to see you again. I've done what God asked of me. Let's, let's party, let's, let's do whatever we got next is kind of the idea here. And Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and lowing of oxen that I hear? Are you kidding me, Saul? How can you say that you have done what you were supposed to do when I hear the noises of sheep in the background, when I hear the lowing of the cows in the background? You clearly have not obeyed. You were told to wipe out everything and I don't even need to see. I can hear that the animals are still alive. Then Saul said, they, not we, they spared or have brought them from the Amalekites for the people not us, spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And then the rest we've devoted to destruction. And then Samuel says to Saul, stop, stop Saul. I will tell you what the Lord has said to me this night. And Saul says, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? So though you came from Benjamin, the smallest tribe, are you not the king? Are you not leading these people? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction, the sinners, the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? It cannot get much more plain than this. Why did you disobey Saul? And verse 20, he does not let it go. Saul says, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And he's, he's so confused as to what he was called to do. He outs himself even here. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, and the best of things to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel's like, enough, enough of this. And this is where we get verse 22 and 23. He says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Does he? 
Does the Lord care about your sacrifices more than obedience? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and listen to the fat of rams. And this is just so clear for your rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and your rebellious heart is as sin and it's idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. You see how much more emphasis that passage has when you understand the context leading up to the, in the disobedience in Saul's life. God has rejected him. He's done with them. And though it would take a few more years for his throne to be taken from him, God's word came true in Saul's life. So why did he reject him? Because he refused to obey the word of the Lord. And we can hear that and we can listen to that and we say, okay, clearly Saul is a disobedient guy. He was given a couple chances. He didn't let it go. He tried to say he obeyed and he didn't but that's Saul. I I would never be that ridiculous. I would never make such foolish decisions like Saul has. But I want you to ask yourself, have I truly obeyed what God has called me to? Am I obedient to his word? Do I listen when he calls me? Because obedience is much more difficult than we actually think. It is. And we're gonna see that God expects obedience of us, but it is difficult. And the first reason why we find obedience so difficult is because you are called to give up control. Obedience is giving up control. What's the first thing that Samuel says in verse 22? It says, does the Lord delight or take pleasure or enjoy your sacrifices as much as obedience to him? If you, if, you had to, if you had to choose one or the other, what would God enjoy more? Saul has convinced himself that I have done the right thing. I have, I've accomplished what God has asked of me, but he hasn't, no. He clearly has failed. Why? Is it because he didn't know clearly what he was supposed to do? No, Saul has failed because he does not wanna give up the reins of control as king. He does not wanna have to do what God commands of him. He wants to choose his own path. He wants to choose his own way. And he wants to be in control of what happens and what doesn't happen. When he gets called out, Saul's even still like, oh no, it's a misunderstanding. It's a misunderstanding. The reason that they kept the animals was the sacrifice to God. It's all good, Samuel. You don't need to get upset. You don't need to freak out. I know we were told to kill them, but we kept them for God. We did a righteous thing here. We're gonna sacrifice these to God. Doesn't our God love sacrifices? Who cares if we didn't do it exactly the right way? We're giving all this back to God. So it's totally fine. That's kind of the the motives that we see here in Saul almost like they're doing God a favor. That's kind of ridiculous, huh? The, the notion that we can get into that we are doing God a favor. I'm serving for God. I'm doing him a favor by being here early on a Sunday morning. I'm doing him a favor by taking care of those in need. I'm doing God a favor in these areas. Does God care more about your sacrifice or more about obedience? You are not doing God a favor by obeying him. You're not. And Saul, who has just been caught in his sin, is likely saying, let's just sacrifice them because we got caught. That's kind of the idea here. Imagine you walk into church this morning and you see someone that you recognize. You're like, I kind of recognize that person. I don't know from where, I don't fully know. And then it clicks. You're like, I saw that person on the news last night. 
I saw that person in posters around the city. And though they're carrying a briefcase, didn't they just rob a bank like three days ago? Right? Imagine, imagine you saw someone come in that had just robbed a bank and you go up and you approach them and you're like, hey, aren't the police looking for you? Shouldn't you turn yourself in for robbing a bank instead of just going to church? And they're like, oh, no, no, don't worry. It's all good. I got all the money that I robbed the bank with. I'm just gonna give it to God. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put it in the little black box at the back of the worship center. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this offering to God and it's all gonna be good. It's fine. You would, you would think how ridiculous is your thought process that you can justify your sinful actions by a sacrifice, regardless of how much money it is. God does not care about that money. He has no interest in that money. He's, he's got no interest in what you offer him if it's out of disobedience. So even if Saul's intentions were pure, his lack of obedience just disregards whatever he has to offer. It does. This type of perspective is prideful is what it is. It's a pride that I can remain in control and run things the way I want them to go. God would not have cared if Saul went back after the battle and took every clean animal in the entire kingdom and sacrificed it to God. Why? Because he had just disobeyed. I don't care what you offer me if you're doing it on your terms when you want to and disregarding what I have called you to do. It's prideful. You have not given up your control and you have not obeyed my voice. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, it, it wouldn't work. This, the, same, the same idea applies if you got home from work one day and you had found out that your spouse had cheated on you and they're like, whoa, whoa, don't freak out. No big deal. I made you your favorite meal. I bought you some gifts that you've always wanted. I'm gonna just shower you in encouragement and in nice words. A healthy marriage would say, stop wait a minute, I don't care what you do for me. I care about your obedience. You said in your marriage vows that you would stay faithful to me and me alone, and you haven't. And I don't care what you have done for me. It doesn't change the fact that you have been disobedient and you have not been faithful in this marriage. You can't just offer a few nice gifts and then go off with whoever you want. And we, we, we hear that and we're like, that's ridiculous. I, would, I totally understand that. But how often are we involved in spiritual adultery? How often do we do this to God? We seek to obey him and then something comes up that we wanna do and we're like, you know what? I'm gonna do that instead. But then I'm gonna go back to church and I'm gonna get super involved or I'm gonna give more money or I'm gonna very earnestly pray repentance for that later. But then when an opportunity comes up, we go and chase after it again. We're running from God, chasing after our passions because we refuse to give up control. God does not care about your sacrifices if you are not obedient. He doesn't. We think to ourselves, do I want God to be pleased with me? Yeah, I want God to be pleased with me. Do I wanna make sacrifices for God? I, yeah, I would, I would like to do that. But am I willing to submit to the authority of God by obeying what he asks? That's a little bit more difficult. That, that's, a, that's a little bit more hard to follow. Obedience necessarily involves submission. It does. To obey is to admit there is an authority greater than your own that you will submit to and you will listen to and you will follow even if it goes head to head with the plan that you have for your life. It involves submission. It's an acknowledgement of that authority. It does. So your interests are no longer your own. Your interests no longer come first. 
It's no longer about what you want and how you want life to go. You will bow the knee to the King of Kings. It kind of reminds me of a relationship between a coach and a team. Think about a, a coach and a team. The coach guides, the coach directs. He makes a plan for his team. He calls the plays and the team goes out and does that. But sometimes you might get a teammate that says, I'm calling an audible. I think this is a better idea for the situation. Or I'm the one playing the game. I'm gonna switch the play up mid, mid, mid game, do what I wanna do. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And we see that and we kind of incorporate that in our own lives. God gives us a call, God gives us a plan, tells us what to do. He coaches us, he guides us. And we're like, you know, I'm gonna call an audible. I'm gonna switch out of God's play. It's been working up to this point, but I really think the best idea is to go this direction because this is gonna get me what I want or get me where I want to be. And we switch out of God's plays and we're constantly switching out of what God has called us to. How's that gonna work out for you? How's that gonna work? At the end of your life of switching out of plays that God has called you to, you will recognize you messed up. You made a mistake. You probably shouldn't have done that. At the end of your life, when you stand before God, you will clearly see who is on the throne and who is not. And surprise, surprise, you're not gonna be on the throne. This is why obedience is hard. It's difficult, but it is expected. In many ways, it's actually easier to put more money in the offering next week or, or give more to God. It's easier to get drunk each weekend and then come back to church and pray for forgiveness than to obey God. It's easier to get angry at your kids, lash out, say you're sorry and do it again the next week. It's easier to say, I'll do anything for you, God, but will you obey me? Will you do what I have asked you to do? What does God delight more in? the gifts and the sacrifices that you offer to him or obedience to his word. We don't need to guess. God delights in obedience to his word. Have you given up control? Have you given up the control in your life? Not, not giving up and feeling hopeless, but giving up control and placing your trust in God. We're always gonna have an excuse as to why we didn't obey. It's the army that kept the animals. It's not me. It didn't spark joy in my life, so I couldn't obey God at that time. To be obedient to God is to remove yourself from his throne. Have you done that? Obedience is hard because it's not just sacrifice. Obedience is also difficult because it's not partial. Obedience cannot be partial. We see this as well in the text pretty clearly. Saul defeats the army, Saul attacked, he went out as God commanded him to do. He disarmed the king. He destroyed all that was bad and all that was evil in their own eyes, but they just kept the animals. They just kept the king alive. To disobey God's commands, even partially, is to reject God as our authority. That's what it is. If you disobey even partially, you have rejected God as your authority. I want you to, if you have your Bibles in front of you, jump to verse two and three at the beginning. And then we're gonna to jump to 14, 15. This is one example that I think explains this so well right in the text. Verse two and three is the command that, that God is giving Saul. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I've noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. 
The command is clear. Whether you agree with it or not, it is clear what God has asked of him. The specific band that has attacked Egypt or attacked Israel coming out of Egypt needs to be wiped out. Just as God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah by supernatural means, here he is saying, Saul, by natural means through you and your army, I want you to express my justice upon these people. That's what he says. Now look to verses 13 and 14 rather. And, then, and Samuel came to Saul and what does Saul say? After he's done what he shouldn't have, he says, blessed be to you, the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Then what is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and lowing of oxen that I hear? How can you possibly think that you have fully obeyed what God has called you to? Partial obedience is not obedience, regardless of how you can try and justify it in your own mind. When God tells you what to do, you don't get to redefine it you don't get to change it. You don't get to switch it around how it works best for you. You do what you're called to do. Now, over the past couple of years, I've had the ability to look at a lot of different houses for sale, a lot of different places that are available for rent. And I've had my fair share of viewing these. And whether you're buying or renting, there's probably a trend that you've seen in houses that have been remodeled. There's houses that have been remodeled really well and that are listed for sale. And there's houses that have been remodeled that are probably listed at the same price, but have not been remodeled well. And there's a term for that. They call it the landlord special. Some of you may have heard that. It's usually when you go in with a, a coat of paint and you paint over the electrical outlets, over the cracking in the walls. You just go over all that. There's mismatched flooring that because it was on clearance at Home Depot. So you got it for the best deal. It's new, right? So it works. And you see this pretty regularly around people that are trying to make a quick buck flipping houses. Um, but if you decided, you know what? We've saved up money. I wanna renovate our house. I hire a contractor to come in and do that. You spent a lot of money and this is how your house turned out. You'd be pretty upset. You'd be like, hey, I have paid a decent amount of money to have my house redone. When I could have done this myself, I could have slapped it together like this. I, don't, I want it to look new. I want it to be done. You haven't fully done what you said you would you would be angry at that. My parents have had a phrase for this. Some of you guys might know it. it's a little bit of slang. When you do a job half-hearted, um, <laughs> it's, it's not doing a job good at all, right? It's a half-hearted job, partial obedience, a half-hearted job, it's not obedience. Like if you did the job halfway, you haven't finished. It's not done. You have not obeyed. You could have done 90% of what you were supposed to do and didn't do the other 10%, doesn't matter. You haven't done what you said you were due or what you have been called to do. It's not like a test where you can just answer all the questions you know and, and leave a couple blank and get a passing grade. You either obey or you disobey. There's no partial, there's no halfway, there's no in-between. To obey God is to fully obey what he has called us to. So what has God called you to? What type of obedience are you called to obey? It can, it can be broken down into two to simplify it for us. There's the idea of active obedience as Christians and passive obedience. And we're called to do both of these. Active obedience is obeying the commands that you have been called to do. So when God says, honor your father and mother, that's active obedience. When God says, go and make disciples, active obedience. Do not neglect the gathering of believers, active obedience. Those are examples. While passive obedience 
is, is actually a good thing. It's submitting to God, regardless of the situation or the circumstance. I'm gonna obey what God has called me to, no matter what. So when James says to count it all joy, when you face trials of various kinds, that's passive obedience. When Galatians says, do not grow weary of doing good for in due time you will reap. That's passive obedience. Even Jesus in the garden before his crucifixion shows us passive obedience where he's crying out to the father and says, take this cup from me. But at the end of the day, not my will, but yours be done. That's passive obedience. Even when it's hard and difficult, we follow God and we obey him regardless of the situation. He has called us to obey actively and passively. And this cannot be done partially. You cannot love and respect your spouse as God has called you to while also going and gossiping about them to friends. You can't, That's, it's, it's not halfway in between. You can't worship God by singing songs on a Sunday morning while having no real meaning or passion behind the words. That's, that's partial, that's not true obedience. You can't care for the widows or those in need by being generous, but by also hoping you get something back in return. I hope they put me in their will. I hope I get some kind of recognition for this. Partial obedience disgusts God. He has no interest in this. When we attempt to obey God while also refusing to submit to him, it's, it's not obedience. You may think I've gotten away with it already. I've gotten away with it up until this point. Your time is running out. That's not true obedience. God sees the reality of your heart. He sees the state of your life and he is not happy with this type of obedience. He isn't. He's not oblivious to the passions of your heart or your desires. He's not gonna be deceived. Does God delight in your sacrifices or your half obedience? No, he doesn't. He's not impressed with it. You cannot do things both God's way and your way. It's either one or the other. And I think that we often act more like Saul here than we would care to admit. We end up just like him here. How can we not think of times when we try and make our desires and God's commands match, right? There's so many examples. Here's a, here's a simple one. Let's say your kid has a recital on a Sunday morning. They've been training, they've been practicing for this for a long time. It's here, it's Sunday morning. Like, ah, oh, should I go to the recital or should I go to church on Sunday morning? I know I don't worship church, so I'm allowed to miss church, but I also feel like I should be bringing my family to church and set a precedence. You're kind of going back and forth. You're like, I know my kid is not gonna win an award in Sunday school, but they might win at their recital. So that kind of is one in that category. But then you kind of feel conflict, conflicted. I should probably bring them to church. I don't wanna miss it. You're like, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go to the recital and I'm gonna listen to a podcast later. I'm gonna listen to a podcast about God later. And then at the recital, I can maybe bring up Jesus to someone. I can, I can mention to them that I'm a Christian and that I love God. And we kind of play these games in our mind where we justify doing what we, we know we probably shouldn't do and, and make it work and say, you know what? I've obeyed God and I got to do what I want. It's a win-win, right? What could possibly go wrong here? And some of you hear that and you're like, that would never be an issue for me. But this happens in so many areas of our lives. So many areas of our lives, we participate in partial obedience. Maybe for you, you read your Bible at nighttime or in the morning when you're really tired and you're kind of falling asleep. You're not really getting anything from it, but I read it. I got the Bible in, I read it. So today's gonna be a good day. Have you, have you really read your Bible today? 
Maybe for you, I, I go to life group every time or almost every time and I'm, I'm invited to go to life group, but I don't participate. I'm not really all that involved, but I, but I show up. So that counts for something, right? Or maybe you see some sin in someone's life, so you rebuke them or you call them out, but I, my job's done now. I've called them out. They can deal with it on their own time and figure it out. And you have no interest in seeing them restored. Or you don't keep the Sabbath day holy as God has commanded you. No, I, I can follow all God's commands in my life. Or you tell someone, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you, brother. And you never actually pray for them. How often are we involved in partial obedience in our lives? We've convinced ourselves we're doing great. Everything's going well. I'm still good with God and I get to do things the way I want and the way my schedule is planned for it. Are you really good in God's books? Are you really all set? Partial obedience is disobedience. It doesn't mean that it's gonna be easy when we obey, but what God expects is full obedience. Not partial, not half-hearted, but to fully obey. This leads us to the final point as to why we find obedience difficult. Why is obedience difficult? I think because we don't actually think disobedience is all that bad. We don't think it's all that bad to disobey. Does Saul seem bothered when Samuel is distraught from a night of crying, waking up early, being like, what have you done, Saul? So I was like, no, he's not bothered by it. I've done what God asked. But no, Saul, you haven't. Yeah, but I, I have. So it's not that big of a deal, right? Th they brought them, the army did this. They should have listened. It's not that big of a deal. There's a, a key word in verses 15 and in verse 20 and 21. I'm gonna just read the, the phrase for you. If you have your Bibles, you can look there if you want as well. Saul says to Samuel in these verses, he says, they, as in the army, saved all the good animals. Why? To sacrifice to the Lord your God. What does he say again when Samuel rebukes him? He says, the people took of the spoil all the best things to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Whether it's ignorance, pride, or whatever, Saul is making this so impersonal. He doesn't even call it the Lord my God, the Lord our God. It's the Lord your God. I, I've done what your God has asked me. I've accomplished more than enough that should satisfy your God. And if he's not satisfied, he can take the animals later. He can take something when we get back from camp. I've done what your God expects of me. He's made this so impersonal, right? There's only three characters we hear from in this whole passage. We hear from Samuel, we hear from Saul, and we hear from God. And the connection is broken between Saul and God. God does not speak directly to Saul. And Saul does not speak directly to God here. Even at the end, when Samuel says, you know what, Saul, your kingship is taken from you. You have been rejected as king. Saul kind of falls on his knees and like, please, I know I'm rejected as king, but just at least make me look good in front of the people right now. At least come with me so I don't look like a fool in front of all these people. That's kind of the idea that we see here. Saul doesn't really care that he disobeyed God. He's really not that bothered. He's not really that interested in, in whether God cares or not. And even when he admits, he doesn't admit remorsefully. He tries to claw back. There are some um, great examples of those. I think cars are a good example of this. I've had my fair share of cars and, and some foolish decisions. And sometimes there's a, something that goes out in a car, that's not that big of a deal. Your AC goes out, it's like, okay, that doesn't really affect my drivability. The car's still fine, it just is harder in the summertime. And then sometimes there's noises you're not sure what it is. 
So you turn up your radio when you get in it and uh, you hope everything's fine. And then one day when you're on the side of the road and your car doesn't drive, you realize that was probably a bigger issue than I cared to admit. But in our lives, we treat obedience like that. Like you've been disobeying. Yeah, I'm just gonna turn up the volume in my life. I'm just gonna focus on other things. I'm gonna distract myself. And then it takes us going down and down and down until we're really confronted with the reality of how much we have sinned and with how far we are from God that we're like, whoa, that was a bigger deal. That was a bigger issue than I was willing to admit. God calls the disobedience here, witchcraft and idolatry. Do you consider your own disobedience witchcraft before God? Is it that big of a deal to you? Do you consider it that? Do you think of your disobedience in that way? Do you equate it with someone who worships spirits and is associated with human sacrifices? Is that how serious you consider your disobedience? Because that's what God is referring to here. And I think another way we can ask this question is, do you actually love God? Do you love him? Do you care about him? Do you worship him? Your obedience reveals who you love. If you obey, it shows that you care and love the one who has called you to obey. If you disobey, it shows that you do not care or do not love the one who's called you to obey, even if it's just temporarily. As, as kids, and as all of us have had parents or parently figures, there's times where they're called us to obey and respect what they have said, even when you disagree with it. Even times you're like, ah, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that's what we should do. But most times you obey because you love and respect the role and the person that's placed in that authority. Even though you don't think it's the exact way you would have done it. Same way with God. If you love him, you will obey him. Even when you don't see the full plan and see things the way you think they should be. Your obedience reveals your identity, really. So what does this mean for us? How do we love God with our lives? How do we live lives of worship towards God, of obedience in good times and in bad times to do what we must, even when it hurts us financially or it tires us out? I want to ask a couple questions just as we wrap up. Is it possible to obey God without truly loving him? Can we please God or follow him or even hear from him without loving him? No, we can't. And I believe this is the root cause as to why obedience is so difficult for us because we stray from the gospel. We get focused on these many issues or many things in our life that are distracting us that might be good, might not be good. And it takes us a shaking to go back to the beginning. We must go back to the beginning of what love of God means, to know the great love with which God has loved us, to experience forgiveness, that can only come through what Christ has done on the cross. In fact, if you were to go through much of the New Testament, you would see a common theme. The theme is that God has loved us and we are called to abide in his love. And how do we abide in God's love? By obeying what he has called us to do. Abide in my love, 1 John 1:16. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in them. John 15, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the commandments and abide in his love. Why is obedience hard? Why is this difficult for us? Why is it hard to love God 
And I want you to answer this question for the next week. When you're at work, when you're having a meal with your family, I want you to ask yourself, why is it difficult to do what God has called me to? Ask yourself, do I love God? Have I recognized what Christ has done for me today? And that is what is filling me up and overflowing into my life. Do I truly love him with my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do I love him with everything? If I keep the will of God and remain in him, if I remain in God, I will be able to obey. You can keep his commandments. The spirit gives you the ability to obey him. Yeah, it's gonna be difficult. Yeah, it's gonna be tough, but you can live a life that pleases God. If you remain in his love, you can keep his commandments. So just as the baptismal candidates and people that got baptized today have proclaimed what Christ has done in my life, if you are living life like that, you can obey and you can keep his commandments. You can, it's possible. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.